Hey guys, welcome back to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from the Moon is a Dead World.net and Coltsploitation.com. And I'm joined by my co-host Martin. How's it going? And uh, we're back today. We uh, we had said that we were gonna do a different film for today's episode last week. No, we I don't think we said we, had, we didn't really decide, but it was kind of almost decided that we're gonna do Phenomena, which is b- being uh, released on Blu-ray by Synapse Films. They recently did a steel book and now they're releasing it on regular Blu-ray. <laughs> It was a perfect time to cover it because I just received it. We already did Tenebrae before that. And then Suspiria, I just ordered, pre-ordered the $50 Steelbook Blu-ray from Synapse Films. So it was a perfect time. Like, we could just do them all at the same time. You know, Dario Argento. I have a full full Dario Argento uh, coverage on the podcast. Well, we are Jello. Yeah, we're a Jello-centric <laughs> podcast that doesn't do Jellos very often. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny, though. Every time I... Uh, here's Suspiria. I just want to like replace it. Um, Def Leppard's Hysteria. Suspiria! You've never seen Suspiria. No, Have you ever heard the Goblin soundtrack? I'm sure I would love it. Amazing. So it's pro- I'm, I'm not even saying that like, um, like ironically. I really do think it's a really great soundtrack. Uh, well, I don't, so, I don't think you could say ironically because I do love Goblin. No, but you know how sometimes, um, their soundtracks don't always tend to fit the exact scenarios that are occurring in the film. I'm thinking Dawn of the Dead sort of sort of idea there. Tenebrae. Yep, Tenebrae. Well, at least with the theme. Suspiria does tend to fit within the context of the film. So that's that that is an added layer to it. I will say that. Even though Goblin's always very catchy and toe tapping, even even in its most Sinister moment. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, in one of these films, like, eventually you just hear, like, Umberto, like, Tozzi's Gloria playing, Gloria, Gloria. <laughs> yeah. Like, if someone's, like, getting brutally murdered. That's why it's, like, one of the best parts of, like, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. When, you know, the boat's, like, getting, you know, crashed into the waves and sinking and... It's awesome. I love that part. <laughs> so the plan was to do Phenomena this week. Now you're gonna have to wait till November. Yeah. We're, we're gonna have to... We're gonna have to push it out. Because... Unfortunately, we lost Toby Hooper this past weekend. He died on Saturday. Uh, found out about it on Sunday morning. Uh, again, very eerily reminiscent to a lot of the other times that we kind of hear about people who have passed away. Um, you know, sp- specifically when we did our George Romero retrospective, uh, not that long ago, really. Only, what, like two months ago? Something like that. Maybe, maybe not even. No, not even. Not even two months ago. And uh, bringing up retrospectives Wes Craven's uh the the uh anniversary of his passing is like right around now it's like either yesterday it's, yeah it's it's very close so like we're we're right upon it um 
so very eerily, you know, all of those things kind of falling into place. Um, and unfortunately, we uh, we lost Toby Hooper, and it was surprising too because we had just done a Toby Hooper episode um, with the Mangler. And I said to Martin, I texted him, I said, you know, Toby Hooper just died. Pretty sure he wouldn't want us to go out on uh, the Mangler for uh, one <laughs> one of his films that we covered. Um, I think no he, offense to the man, but I think he likes it. I, I he probably I, likes I, it. In I, sort I've of... been I have been thinking about that movie since we've watched it, actually, and it, I do enjoy it. As like, like as, as we said during the review, like it's objectively not a good movie, right? At the same time, though, it's just so it's just fun. So, so goddamn fun. Like, and I know I probably come across as like like brow held high, uppity, like mm, you know. I only like The Godfather and, and Citizen Kane and Vertigo, <laughs> mm, yeah. but um, you know, I do enjoy you know certain schlock. You know, everyone has like certain cheese and bad things. You know, garbage that they like. Mangler's, Mangler's one of them. Mangler's you. one of them. It's surprisingly fucking, not surprisingly. It's great. Yeah, if you got Ted Levine, you're like numb nuts, then you know you're. <laughs> <laughs> you got a golden movie. You yeah, um yeah. I mean. I think that, like we said in the in the show, I mean, it's not a it's not a good movie, but I we got a lot of comments on that episode about the Mangler, and um, people have very good like memories of that film, of watching that film because it is so fun, and you know it. They realize too, this is not a good movie, like objectively speaking, but just to watch it, sit down, and just have a good time. It's definitely one of the higher points of, of movie making. I hope one day it gets like a cult following like The Room and Troll 2. Like where you'll be seeing people like having like midnight parties to celebrate at like local cinemas. Surprisingly, the Mangler doesn't really have that that I've seen. You know, there's not very many people talking. You know, when, when I put out the actual like I posted it on, on certain forums, I posted it on like Reddit and stuff like that, asking people what they thought about the Mangler. You know, that brought out responses. But I haven't really seen a lot of people like just talking about the Mangler. Like, well, you know, I know it's not a good film, but I absolutely love the Mangler. They they they'll say that about the Room, but and Troll too. But I've never really seen that about the Mangler. Well, the Room's a whole different beast. Yeah, yeah, for a, sure. A brilliant, brilliant beast. But I, yeah, I, I I the only thing that though is that I wanted to cover a Toby Hooper film that. Was actually one that you people remember for being good for for people actually liking it, becoming a cult film, cult classic. Um, so I wanted to go out with that rather than you know leaving Toby Hooper's legacy on our Blood and Black Rum podcast as the Mangler. So you know, and it, that's not a slight to the Mangler. It's a great film, uh, but but we wanted to cover something a little bit more you know, like we like we did with George Romero. You know, something something that had a legacy for, for Toby Hooper. Uh, so we decided to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, it's one that we had been... Uh, we, I'm going to leave this to the end of the episode to announce, but it's, it's, it's going to tie in with something that we're doing for the podcast coming up. So we'll leave that to the end of the episode to actually flesh that out. But um, just... Suffice to say that it, it does tie in pretty well with with what we have planned. So, you know, it we, I, we there's a, a few films that you could pick for a Toby Hooper film that had some legacy to it. One of my favorites from him is The Fun House. Really fun film. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen it. Have you? No. 
it's such a fun film. Again, it's not it's not one of those films that you would say like is objectively a good film. I don't I wouldn't say that it's a bad film. It doesn't reach the Mangler like depths of, you know, kind of humorous comedy. But it is not one of the better slasher films to to come out around the 80s. But it's a really fun film, especially to be, fa- to be fair, the 80s did not have a lot of good No, slasher. they didn't have a lot of good ones, but it, it definitely it was one of those slasher films that had some heart to it. You know, they were really trying to go for something a little bit different. And I'm a sucker for any film that takes place on like a carnival or a theme park or something like that. Anything that has like that sort of attraction to it. Makes you think of like, makes, well, at least it makes me think of like that one Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Exactly. And I'm, I'm sure Are You Afraid of the Dark took a, some inspiration from the Funhouse making that episode. Um, and that's kind of like what that's what it's like. I, and I have a lot of fun with the Funhouse. I think I think it's a really fun film. It's one of my favorites from Toby Hooper. Um, and I wouldn't mind covering that. But the Texas Chainsaw Master just has a lot more legacy behind it. So it was one that you know, lended itself to doing a retrospective episode. Um. How much experience do you have with Toby Hooper's films? Besides, you know, obviously we've seen The Mangler, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. What else have you seen from Toby Hooper? Poltergeist. Okay. That's probably it. And Poltergeist pretty much it. Yeah. Um, and then this um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre too. Yep. Because I know he did do that. He didn't do the... Uh, he did not return yeah. for the third, but yeah. yeah. But yep, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, he did Life Force. He's done... He did Invaders from Mars, which is... Kind of a fun and almost more childlike horror film from the eighties about a kid who sees aliens landing in his in his backyard and kind of has to to fight them. Uh, Let's take ET and turn on its ear. Kind of, yeah, you know, a little bit. Um, you know, it's, it's like after Poltergeist, like you know what, Stephen, I'm gonna make a movie that makes fun of ET. <laughs> yeah, pretty much, pretty much. You know, and I I wrote up a retrospective too for cult exploitation on Toby Hooper, um, and I did talk a little bit about Poltergeist and you know that kind of uh, I would say shading on Toby Hooper's career of you know there's always that question of who directed Poltergeist was it was it actually Toby Hooper or was it really Spielberg that was calling the shots behind the scenes and I don't think that it really matters. I think that Ho- Toby Hooper had a lot of say over the direction of it and whether Spielberg stepped in to help direct and you know, it was his production. So at that point you can't really blame Toby Hooper for being like, Oh, you know, I didn't get a chance to direct this and saying like, he didn't have a say. I can see Spielberg taking the reins and just being like, you know what? I'm paying for this fucking movie. So it's well, going to no. be the way that I want. Well, it to no, because um, no, you're right. Cause that, you know, producers, the one bankrolling it. So exactly. So if, you know, I can absolutely. So there's, you know, especially you know, back in the early history of you know film, where films were producer driven and not director driven. It wasn't like you're the director. You have this. Yeah, you, know, you got you got a vision. You have a vision. No, no, we don't care. I'm fucking funding this film, organizing it, getting it to all together. You do what the hell I want you to do. I and absolutely think that. So, which it's which if that's the case, then that's the case. Like that's what he, you know, he did what you know he had to do. He did what it, what his job was, <laughs> and. If anybody's if anybody's not to blame, it's Toby Hooper, because from a production standpoint, I can just imagine you know you're getting all this backlash from production. No, we don't want this. No, we don't want this. Okay, well then, what do you want? You know, and and you you 
do it the way that you want it because obviously you have this vision vision for it that I am not fulfilling. So it's it's really not it, there's which, no blame there. Which also takes a special personality because I for one would not be able to be that if I was ever directing. You wouldn't be able to really that would push. no I, I no I would have to be like an auteur like <laughs> like a Wes Anderson or something because I, I I would be like like no nah, fuck no I'm well then you definitely would not have succeeded at yeah. that time <laughs> no I wouldn't no I I wouldn't be able to be like like a I could never be like a Hollywood director you're no. like okay you're gonna you know because basically production would was would would really take its toll on you they'd be saying like you're not doing this fast enough. Uh, you're spending way too much time and money on this one scene and we need it done. I know. You know, and then, yeah. and then at that point, if it's not done, production is like, well, just cut it and go. That's yeah. it. You know, you, you did what you did and, and, it doesn't and help. then it comes back yeah. on you. I know, so. and it doesn't help either than perfectionist. So like, exactly. you know, if you had to like work with like somebody like, you know, one take brand, they're like, oh, I do one take, you know, I'd be like, it's not quite good enough, Marlon. We're going to. You know, at this point in Hollywood, we don't often see that where a film just seems totally unfinished or totally like Suicide Squad. Like, well, <laughs> it's a little bit different. You don't see it that often, but you know, back then it was totally not uncommon to get a film that just did not come together. And you're like, you watch it now, and you're like, why? Like, who would have put this out? Who would have decided like this was a finished product? Let's put it out. Or the meddling behind, you know, yeah. after well, you know like what? It. That was production. That was was everybody saying, you know what? Your max budget, what you've got is what you got. Put it together in the best way possible in post production, and, and there you go. Send it out. You know that's what happened. And so I, I definitely bringing it back to Toby Hooper. I definitely don't blame Toby Hooper for relinquishing whatever duties he had to Spielberg to please the man. You know, he's paying for it, so you, you do what you can, and, and then you you allow production to kind of call the shots for the budget. But it was a huge success for Hooper anyway, because he went on to, like, the 80s were kind of a glory time for him. He went on, like I said, he went on to do uh, Life Force, Invaders from Mars, um, Eaten Alive, which is kind of like an offshoot of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, except the the, the killer has a crocodile for a pet and stuff like that. Um, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part Two later on in the nineties, you know, it was a glory time for him, and I I think that Poltergeist really helped to to boost his standing in Hollywood, and he got to do some really cool stuff because of it. So no fault there. I really in like I said, when it comes down to it. Doesn't really matter who directed Poltergeist, who who uh, had the final say in it, because it's a good film regardless. Yeah. So whether there was like, um, it's actually kind of a marvel that there probably were two conflicting viewpoints on what was what Poltergeist was supposed to be, and it came out to be such a good film regardless of you know that kind of uh, divide between the two. So I love Poltergeist. I I think it's a great film. Watched it again not too long ago. Still holds up. Still still spooky. It's Yeah, no, as I say, it's definitely one of those horror films that definitely... Because like, we uh, we talked about in previous episodes about how, you know, horror is, especially is really hard. Like, you can enjoy it for what it is and what happens. But overall, it is kind of hard to, like, be genuinely creepy. Mm-hmm. I think Poltergeist is one of those movies that is genuinely, genuinely creepy. Especially if you watch it at the right age. Yeah. Like like when I first did, like when you're like ten years old, right in that yeah that yeah. that time frame of like post or pre puberty to like you know fifteen something like that fifteen sixteen it's a good time to watch it mm. because it is you know at that time 
PG rating. <laughs> uh, maybe not appropriate <laughs> now, but for you know, at that time there wasn't really any. Spielberg had yet to come out with his own rating system, so uh, <laughs> Temple of Doom was yeah, not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, it was a PG rating, um, perhaps not appropriate, but um, it did it did too have those characters that were of that same age, you know, post or uh, I keep saying post. I mean prepubescent. Um and they were the ones that were most affected. And that is kind of the you know the reason why if you're watching it at that age, you're going to be very affected too as a as a viewer because you're like, wow, the ghosts are targeting me. <laughs> they 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 want my soul. <laughs> so I think it works out really well. You know, and, and it is good for both kids and adults. I think you know, if I had a kid, I would probably let my kid watch Poltergeist at a younger age. Probably yeah. to scare the shit out of them. Well, yeah, it's PG. I, I yeah, <laughs> I uh, I am a, a big proponent of scaring the shit out of your kids <laughs> because I will say, like, I wasn't super terrorized when I was a kid, but I did like being scared, and that made me who I am today. And so I want to do the same for my kids and scare the shit out of them early so that they, you know, they're ready for that. My sister, on the other hand, I scared countless times when I was a kid, you know, just doing that thing, staring behind her into space like there's a monster behind her, stuff like that. Now she's t- terrified of everything. So maybe it doesn't work. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work out so well after all, but I would let my kid watch Poltergeist. Um, other than that, you know, uh, as we did with like The Mangler, some of Toby Hooper's later films, it kind of got a little bit cheesier and you can kind of see that progression because when, once you get to like texas chainsaw massacre part two i don't know how long it's been since you've seen that film high school like so long time yeah like that we're getting ancient now you know and to be honest with you the first time i saw it was in high school i saw it, i've seen it a couple of times but the first time was like during a study hall right on like our in senior lounge on, t- on tv i think it was like on usa or something so it's been a while since you've seen it but i watched it recently i think scream factory released it like maybe two years ago and um, I got to say that it, it is a lot more corny and intentionally campy uh, than than the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And uh, I think that really is – that throws off some people who really like Texas Chainsaw Massacre because it is so much different. There's a, a very different feel and aesthetic to it. When you make that jump though – from t- in time between movies. Oh, yeah. There's, you know, there's a good almost 20 years between the two films. Uh, well, so, yeah. It's so, like a lot of films when they, like, you know, have that large gap between, you know, each film. It's like, it's always crapshoot. Yeah. Like Super Troopers 2 is finally coming out. Who knows can't, about that? Can't wait for it. At the same time, I know it's probably going to be a total disappointment. Well, the one thing that um I think, though with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is that it did set the precedent for Toby Hooper's later works. Like, like I said, with the Mangler, um, and some, of uh, some of his later works like Mortuary, um, they definitely feel different from the Toby Hooper of the eighties. And that's just a progression of directing, you know, directing, uh, for him. Um, but I don't know that he had the same success later in life that he did in like the 70s and 80s still he did stuff like masters of horror for showtime he did a couple episodes for them um and then he also he did uh, at that point this in the 90s it was a big time 80 late 80s early 90s big time for anthology series on tv so hbo's tales from the crypt was really kicking off 
Um, they had you had amazing stories. He directed an episode of that. Um, you know, free of the dark. Yep. Uh, Goosebumps. Tales, Tales from the dark side. Th- things like that. That was they were really kicking off at that time, and so you kind of see. Uh, Toby Hooper moving more into that territory of well, let's just direct you know sort of a, like a short story. Let's let's take and he he did that with a couple things. You know he he's and he is he's a very um, he's really into Stephen King too because we talked like he di- he directed The Mangler, which is a Stephen King short story. He did Salem's Lot, the the TV special uh, for CBS, uh, which was like a f- you know four hour miniseries straight from Stephen King. Um, and then also those shorts, they really feel like uh, short stories almost. And it, it really lended itself in that late 80s, early 90s phase to like what he was doing. And he even went on to do a couple of movies that had in, that were anthologies, like uh, Body Bags. Um, so really interesting progression in his career. And, uh, I, you know, it's nice to remember all of those good things that he left us with. Because I think that a lot of his films have become big cult classics. Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Part 2, Life Force, Eaten Alive, The Fun House. Even Salem's Lot has a really big following. Uh, all of those have really contributed a lot to the horror genre. And we just wanted to take this time on the episode to remember that, reminisce, and you know, give them a little, a nice little retrospective before we launch into our Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, episode full throttle. So... Thank you, Toby Hooper, for all you did. And we will certainly miss you. John Carpenter, don't die. (laughs) We can't lose them all. All right, um, we're going to take a break, come back, and we're going to talk about a new beer for the show. So stay with us. All right, guys, we're back. um, And we got some beer for you today. Now we've been talking about we we do a lot of Jenny Pilot Batch Brewhouse beers. Why we, we've done almost all of them? Why? Because you love them. Cause oh. You're a huge fan. I do too. I'm I'm a big fan as well. Uh, I've become a even I've become a huge fan of Jenny because of the Brewhouse style. I think. I even picked up a poster. Of, yeah, that of, great of great. Uh, Jenny the Jenny uh, the Jenny girl Jenny from, girl from the fifties. Um, with a spooky Halloween. Yeah, it's a spooky Halloween one. Um, which very risque poster too, by the way. You can look it up on the amazing Je- on the Jenny. You should pick it up. It's pretty cheap, and it's a huge poster. Yeah. I gotta get a I gotta get a frame for it. They they do have a lot of great posters and yeah, stuff on do. their website. Yeah. But no, you should look at it because it's uh, on their website. If you anyone wants to take a look, because it's a poster from the fifties, and Jenny's showing some cleavage. Mm-hmm. That's that's risque. Yeah. Um, so uh, we do a lot of the brew house beers, but there was one that we weren't able to get because it hasn't been around here for a while. And it's really technically not around here where we are. It's about an hour and 20 minutes out. No, 40 minutes. 40 minutes. Yeah, That's 40, it. It's, it's only a about a 40 minute drive. Yeah. Um, but it's it was in Ilian, and and that's you know it's about a forty minute drive. And Martin braved the trip. I wasn't. I'm not available in, during the day, so he can do that sort of thing. He can do a road trip. But uh, he was able to go out and get the Grüngeist, which is Jenny's uh, special brewhouse pale ale. Now, what the one thing I don't get is it's been out since like mid to early summer. Like it got announced just like just after the orange honey cream ale, which we did. Talk we, about we the did podcast. Talk about it. Yep. Um, 
so I'm assuming it was supposed to be a summery beer. I guess, yeah. But they didn't get it just till now with the rest of their fall batch because all their at the store I went to all their summer stuff they got marked down. So like if you want like a case of Travelers like Grapefruit Shandy, you can get a case for it for like fifteen dollars. Really? So yeah, wow. they, they like or like a, their Cerveza packs like marked down like by four or five dollars because they're getting rid of their summer stock. You know, that's a cool thing that that mm-hmm. store uh, does there. So I'm kind of surprised that they finally got the Grungeist and it's. With their fall beers, because I wouldn't really say it's a fall beer. No. I also wouldn't really say it's a summer beer. It's a spring beer. Right, yeah. It's, it's At least to me, at least to me, it tastes like a nice, like, a, it's kind of in the middle. I, I could definitely, I could see it as a fall beer, I guess. I, I think it's pretty refreshing. It's not, you know, at that point yet where you're you're getting into a heavier winter beer, but I, I, can, I could see it for fall, I guess. Uh, I don't think that's what they meant by it. I think it probably released for a summer release, I guess. Maybe not specifically for, you know, as, a, as like, this is our summer beer. Because that but was it, definitely the Orange Honey Cream right. Ale. But it, it was, like, around that same time. I don't really know if they had, like, schedules set up for it. But but what it is, is it's a pale ale. And it has this special Grüngeist German hop. And uh, Grüngeist is German for Green Ghost. It's uh, apparently a new hop variety that's been bred yeah i mean i've i did see on untapped there's a couple people that do make a grungeist beer with that hop but it's not one that you like see a lot you know you see now you're seeing a lot of like citra hops you're seeing a lot of mosaic hops um grungeist i can't say that i've seen a lot of and uh i think this is a really interesting beer for them um they don't make a lot of pale ale so it's kind of uh I, I, first of all, that's that's one thing that attracts you. Um, I like pale ales. I like ones that don't go overboard into the IPA territory. And this one is definitely one that sits very cleanly on the pale ale side, not going overboard, hops like you know IBUs into the IPA territory. This is very much a pale ale. And I think you'll agree because you're one of the most outspoken people about those IPAs that, you know, pale ales becoming IPAs and, you know, vice versa. They kind of like are crossing over now. There's yeah, not really they, a... yeah, the line has been very, you know, muddled. And um, as much as we drink beer and, you know, like it and appreciate the art, we'll both admit we're not very astute, like, tasters when it comes to, like, differentiating, like, certain hops. Like, you can um, tell, like, you can describe, like, the certain, like, kind of f- flavors, but not, like, in great detail. Yeah, I mean, and you won't be able to, like, and I won't, and I'll never be able to, like, discern certain hops. Never be able to pick it out, like, well, no, this one and, has. And again, and again, like, I think that's, like, you know, total bullshit. People are like, oh, I can, you know. It's like, like, when you read, like, a whiskey description, and it's like, hey, that vanilla you're tasting does not exist. I guess the only thing that you would really pick out is if it's, if there's a particularly skunky cat piss flavor <laughs> of hop, and you'd be like, yep, that's the one. You know, <laughs> you, you know that, like, especially if you're, like, not really a fan of it. You would know. But other than that, I do have a difficult time, like, picking out, okay, well, this is this hop, and this is that hop. It's, I'm not a very good taster. In I, like, I, I like, and I've never gotten a chance to go, like, on a brewery tour, but I like, had to, like, sit there and have, like, somebody, like, exp- like, you know, like, this is, like, the one that you're having now, and, because they all have very, like, floral, you know, floral and citrus hops, you know, that they use for pale ales and IPAs, they have very floral and citrusy notes to them. Mm-hmm. And discerning, like, this one's more passion fruit instead of grapefruit, it's pretty hard. At least it is for me, like I said. Maybe I'm just a layman and I, I'm not 
sophisticated. I definitely enough. don't have a good palate. Or it's, you know, just made up science. But. Yeah. But anywho, I enjoy this. Got a little off track there, but I greatly enjoy this. This Grudengeist fits perfectly within what a pale ale, especially an American pale ale, should be. It's got that nice citrus hop character to it, but it's definitely not overboard. You get a nice crisp, and it, is, it says passion fruit. I wouldn't say passion fruit. I'd say more grapefruity. Mm-hmm. Like it has like a grapefruit bitterness to it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if I would say passion fruit, and I don't know but if I, I would I don't, really I don't know. go out of my way to really eat passion, you yeah. know? Yeah, I don't know if I'd really know. It's not something know. in upstate New York that you see, like, you're like, yo, would you like some passion fruit, you know? Yeah. Um, but that, I get, it's got a very, you know, it does have, like, a nice citrus taste to it, but it's not overpowering. The I, IBUs on it aren't that heavy, and... They describe the finish as clean, and you know what? I don't really like ever like that as a, you know as a description, but it is. It's true. It's very crisp. It's very clean. Like you drink it, and it's, it goes down very easy, and it's very palatable. It's yeah. I would venture to say that even people who don't really like pale ales will probably like this beer because it is so crisp and clean and easy to drink. And six percent um, too. Yeah, it, it goes down very smooth and very quickly. Um, I know I drank two really fast. Um, it's just a very tasty beer. I don't know that if you are drinking this that you will particularly be able to pick out like, oh, okay, that's the distinctive Grundgeist flavor. Like, they could have just called it like a their pale ale because they right, don't they don't right. they haven't they ever don't, really done a pale they ale. They don't make a pale ale, so, so I I don't know that anybody will really be able to pick that out specifically but i do think it has kind of a distinctive flavor for a pale ale it definitely doesn't taste like a sierra nevada pale ale which is totally you can that's like one thing you tell like that's definitely like that's a shit ton of west coast style hops right and and this one i you know if i had to equate it to anything i guess i would go with maybe like sam adams noble pills something like that i think it has definitely more, not as florally yeah because sam florally. adams has the five you know different but i me. think it does it has sort of that flavor to it rather than uh more west coast ipa style call it noble pills light because mm-hmm. noble pills which is a beer i do like i really and i wish they would like you know make bring it back to making like a staple spring beer instead of constant because that's like the one beer they're constantly fucking around with they can't ever have it's gotta be like cold snap or you know white water ipa and just bring back and make it the noble pills have that five hot pilsner and it's hoppy and florally as shit, but it's great, you know, for being a pilsner that's got that pilsner body and character to it, but it's got very, you know, very hoppy. And I think, you know, even though this isn't a pilsner, it's got, you know, the body of a pale ale, but it does have that kind of hop characteristic and of the Noble Pils, but not nearly as floral. Yeah, I think, you know, it's it's really good. I think that... A lot of people will enjoy that, this beer, and, and like I said, it goes down really easy. So, check it out. See if you can find it. I'm might be, really... why they, might be why they call it the ghost. Green That's, ghost, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's gone. Gone. I really do, I, I mean, this is probably one of my favorites from the Brewhouse series. Um, It's up there for me. Yeah, I would definitely put it up there. The orange honey cream, like these two, really, for summer, they really hit really the good. mark. Yeah. yeah. 
for one that, for the so. hot day and one for your campfire nights. Now they have a new one coming out, and it's going to be an old ale, and that one is is that's probably, only going to be in bars though. Yes, in the Rochester. Yes. It's not not even around. It's going to be coming out in bottles or anything. It's just going to be uh, close to their area where they where they make the beer, um, and that. As you know, we've only covered one old ale on the show, and that's because neither of us are big fans of it, um, of that style of beer. So I would be interested to give that one try <laughs> and see how it is. I would try it if you paid for it. There's no way I'd put money down for that. I'd, no. I definitely have to. I'd have to pay for it to try it. Sure. I would try it. But I know from experience, you know, old ales, not really my thing. I don't really like the pruny sort of like. This has been sitting around a while style. So um, I don't know how much I'd enjoy it, but it does look cool. The can looks cool. Um, yeah, so I, it did. And no, and, you know what sucks too is like the actual like color and look of the beer looks really good. Like, mm-hmm. you know, like, oh, that looks like a great, it does, like yeah. a great winter beer. Like, yep. hey, 12 feet of snow is coming down. Sit by the fire and drink that. You yeah, know. and that's the thing too is that I really wish I did like old ales and double box more than I do. Because the quads, es- the es- quadruples yeah, in the aesthetic of them is very appealing for like the winter sitting, season. Sitting yeah. down, you know, I'm almost thinking of like olden times where like I've got the candle out, I've got the fireplace going, and I'm sitting down with an old ale or a double bock. But in reality, I just can't, I don't really have the preference for that. You know, I had another double bock recently too. We've had the Jenny double bock on here before. Um, and I had Trog's double back on, uh, uh, like a little while ago and it was very, very similar. And again, I am just not a huge fan. It's just, it's just not, not my cup of tea or in this case, cup of beer. Um, and it, I think it has to do with that, like pruny sort of dried raisiny fruit. dried fruit flavor. It just doesn't, this doesn't do much for me. I would take pretty much any other beer over that. No, I agree. Like it's not it's like it's, it's, like like all my gangs, you know, three philosophers like quad. Yeah, like is you know regarded as like oh what a, you know terrific. Beer. I don't like it. you know they're good for for like one time, like just a little bit. I could have a I could have like one a glass little, of, little flight. Right, I could have one glass of double bock, and then I'd be good. And I'm like oh. I'm I'm done with that. Let you know, hit me treat up with it, something else. Treat it like a shot. Like I'm toasty. Right, it's right. Made me be, toasty and yeah. I think that's it. And you know, but then, but when you get a growler of it, yeah, okay. and you're really just kind of <laughs> fighting through it. So, um, but that that's an interesting old ale. We'll have to see if, if we can get our hands on it in any way, shape, or form, just to try it. I probably just if they do like if it does somehow make it into the actual bottling for the, uh. Pilot batch series. I I will go out of my way again. Well, just, just 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 because. And oh, the winter warmer too is uh, yep. And like we which we did the Jenny winter warmer. That's a uh, raisiny old ale style beer yes. too. Yeah, and that's well. The one thing that does interest me about that new old ale though is that it's bourbon aged. So I think I, that that could be a defining factor for it. That's that's one thing that would really interest me about it. The great thing about that post that I saw too from them about that today, the first comment on it was, "This better not slow down the canning of Jenny Cream Ale." I did see that, <laughs> yes. and they said, "Nope, totally different production." Yeah, I did. I did see that. Yeah, that was really funny because because that that's something I would post. Like, I, I would make. Don't let that slow you down from making your yeah. 
That man was very focused on one one thing and one thing only. We really do need to go out there because we haven't been out to the their. They do have not just like their brewery, but they also have a brew house, which is you know like a pub restaurant. And we got to go out there because they do have more pilot batch style series beers there, but you can only get them at you know only there. Like yeah, we've missed a couple. Like their Hefe. I mean, I'd give their Hefe a try. Sure. Um, Pilsner, their alt beer. Yep. Yeah, we missed a couple, and and we definitely need to give those a. So that way, you can get their twelve we'll, horse ale. We'll do a live podcast from there. We should. I would. That'd be fun. That. We we roll in, and tell them like, hey, yeah. hey, yeah. we're doing a podcast. Probably should tell them like, hey, we've reviewed like a shit ton of your beers on our podcast, and they're like, we'll sponsor you. Yeah, that'd be nice. I would sit here and do every episode in like a Jenny trucker hat, wearing like my. We're doing... <laughs> today, I realized last week we did Jenny Cream Ale, so we're gonna go a little bit different today, and we're gonna do Jenny Light. <laughs> no, no I... they wouldn't want me doing that because no. that would get buried. That's the worst. That light would be beer. funny. That's the worst light beer ever. Yeah, Jenny, we would be interested in the sponsorship. <laughs> if you're listening. Um, we're big Boris Set fans too. <laughs> we're sad to see him retire from NASCAR. Um, but check it out, yeah. Jenny Groomgeist. Which that's the one thing that sucks too. Like I know, like Jenny's not national, but they do distribute in quite a few number of states. But the pilot batch doesn't really make seem to make it out of like mm. northeast New York. Like yeah, not 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 northeast northeast in total. Local. Like, like, yeah. Pennsylvania is, like, almost as far south as, like, the Pilot Badge series stuff goes. Yeah. But. Check it out, though. But we do have it. a, also, real quick. Yeah. A major, and we'll put that in air quotes, major craft beer, too, on here. <laughs> yes, we, we have Magic Hat on here. Oh, God. I, um, as we've probably mentioned, neither of us are fans of Magic Hat. I've. I mean, I think the number nine is okay. Martin distinctly hates it. It's the worst beer I've ever had in my life. Uh, but I, I tend to get a little bit more lenient of them around Halloween because they come out with the Night of the Living Dead pack. Um, and their Hex Oktoberfest is actually very good. So that's one beer they make that's very – that it, I would say is outstanding. No, I agree, and it's a different type of Oktoberfest. Yeah, it, like because their, their whole, Magic Hat's whole gimmick is they take things and you know they try things with them. They're experimental, Go- and not just like experiment. They're goofy experiments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the number that's one of the things that pissed me off about the number nine. It's like not quite paleo. Yeah, no shit. It's not. It's it's not a paleo. It's a fruit beer. Yeah, it's like they're, 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 like 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 fuck you for that. Don't call it, like. Uh, not quite. So maybe you're thinking like it's like a like a like a session pale ale or something like like a very light hoppy. No, no, I mean, no. It's a pear apricot fruit beer, right? And and you know, Magic Hat has the distinction of being the one having one beer that I just literally could not drink, which was in one of their Night of the Living Dead packs. It was some sort of like tart apple. Oh, the green apple. Yeah, green apple sour beer. Uh, was just terrible, and I it tasted like puke, and I could not drink it. I remember from one of their summer packs. This is, had to be like five years ago. I had it was like their hibiscus cucumber one. Oh, it was disgusting. Couldn't do it. Well, I I had to get this one. Unfortunately, it does not have the hex. It also doesn't have a Wilhelm scream in it, which is their pumpkin ale, which is good for me because I generally tend to keep those laying around. I still have one actually. From- I, I, I don't I don't think I've had the Wilhelm scream, but I do like pumpkin ales. I, I I'm not a huge fan. I'm not a huge fan of pumpkin, but um, 
But they do have, you know, it's a it's a four pack. It's got four different beers in it. It's, they've got their stout, which is Heart of Darkness. I, I guess a lot of people really like this Heart of Darkness stout. I think it's just okay. I've got it right now. It is a good set. It's, it's for fine se- for like a session for like a session sure. stout. If like if if you're want if you want to be fancy and like show like you're better than your fucking friends, and you're sitting around like the campfire at night, you know, with your friends hanging out, that's the beer you bring. Yeah, because it's a very easy stout to drink. It's oh god, yeah, it's Guinness, but with an actual body to it, and ni- not you know nitro widget, so it feels like it's creamy. Yeah, I mean, I think it's good. It's not like the best stout I've ever had, but like you said, it's one of those beers that you can sit around and you can also. I mean, this it's not very heavy, so you could drink quite a few of these, even though it's a stout. And and when I'm thinking stout, I can only drink one. It's very heavy. Uh, that's, this is not so much that, you know, it's not heavy, so yeah, you could se- have quite yeah, a few of those. Yeah, like so Session stout. Yeah. So it's, it, it is interesting in that sense. I think it's pretty good. Um, there's a scotch ale in there, which I think is, uh, is, you know, it's a fine, plain scotch ale, but there's nothing that really which stands is, out about it. Which is what I'm drinking right now. And I, I, I agree. I, I like it. Cause as we talked about last year, when we reviewed like the Sam Adams scotch ale, it's like, oh, you know, thank you, Jesus. Why don't they bring this back, you know, back more? Scotch Ale is a totally underrated style of beer. Yeah. Um. So, like, drinking this, I appreciate it. Like, yeah, I'm drinking a Scotch Ale. Yeah. Because I don't get to have these that often because nobody fucking makes them really. Jenny Pilot Batch does. That's one, actually one of their staples that you get year-round is their Scotch Ale. It's very good. We've done that in the podcast before. But I drink this and it's, you know, it's good. There's nothing discernible about it, though. It's it's almost like even though it's seven percent, it's almost like it is a session scotch ale because it's like it's not. There's not like a, such a hot like a malty, heavy body characteristic to that would make it like Ooh, I'm drinking scotch ale. It's like yeah, I'm drinking scotch ale. Like if you have like three real quick, you're like, ooh, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sleepy now. Yeah, and then real quick they've got the black lager, which I thought was actually really good. Um, probably one of the best in the pack. And their Amber Pale Ale, which I believe is pretty new. Um, I found it to be a little bit too sweet and cloying for my taste. And that's prevalent in many Magic Hat beers. It's something to do with the adjunct or, or malts that they use in it that gives it an artificial sweetness that I just am not a huge fan of. It comes off in a lot of their beers. Um, and I, I agree. So that Amber Pale Ale, it really like kicks in in there. There's a lot of sweetness to it. Um, not not a fan of that one so much, and it's very similar to the Electric Peel that they've released previously, which is like their their style of IPA, um, which also has that sweetness to it. It's just something that they do that makes it too sweet for my tastes. So, oh, we do have one more beer. I almost forgot Adirondacks Oktoberfest. Well, I wanted to try to get that one to do it specifically for the show. So. We, right, we we'll may hold, hold off, off that. on that and right, try to we'll try on. to get that one specifically to do as a I haven't you know, seen that a full review. Yet. We won't we won't leave that to the to the back end of this. Well, I'll, I'll all I gotta say is if I can't find it around here in the next two weeks, I'll go back up to Lake George to get it. Either that or because they do have it there. Because the guy I asked the guy like I'm like I'm like I didn't tell you this, but when I I went up to Lake George with my friend the other day. Last week we went up there and we were um, just walking around. We went back to Adirondack Brewery, get lunch, and it was delicious, at, you know, as we had before. And they had their Oktoberfest on there. And I got it. It was really good. And so I asked the guy if you know it came in six packs or twelve packs. 
Because even though we're only fucking 40 minutes away from Lake George, I have never seen in my life like a fall variety pack. I see like their summer and like hot packs from them, but never a fall variety pack or their Oktoberfest. So I asked our waiter if, you know, they had it in six or 12 packs and he said, you go check. And he said, yeah, they do. And they could add it to my bill. I was like, oh no, it's okay. I'll keep like an eye out for it. So I'm, that's what I'm going to do. If like, if I don't see it within two weeks, I will go back up there and get it. Mm-hmm. Cause it's that damn good. It is good. So we'll save it. And you had it uh, this week at our local pub fill grill station. Yep. Yep. It is good. It's delicious. So I, I want to save that one. See if we can get it, get it specifically for the show. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We'll talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Stay tuned. All right, we're back. We're going to talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Toby Hooper's first film, and one that really put him on the map. Um, this film has really come a long way from when it was first made in 1974, because at that time it really it it wasn't a, a well, I mean it wasn't lauded as a film. It was more so a schlockfest. Uh, put down by a lot of critics as being very uh, over the top, um, almost, and and some would say almost like nasty in the way that it was presented. And um, I think I agree with that. I think even watching it now, it just is, it feels like a very dirty film. Does that, does that make sense to you? It's definitely an exploitation film. It's it definitely is. It feels very it it, it feels dirty. It feels grimy. If it, it it feels well, like that's what I was tell I was telling you. We were watching the movie. Is the seventies like wow? What, what a great time to do horror films. The aesthetic and the look of the seven not like in this film, but in just in general, like the look and what the film and like how like film at the time was made, like how they present like the credits, yeah, and the scores. And the limitations fit perfectly within, like, that's why exploitation films, you know, in general, were huge then. They, you know, became, like, really a thing. It fits with the times. Like, just think about, like, like films from, like, 1969 to, like, then. It's only a five-year jump, and it's like, holy, what a jump. Yeah. Just imagine this film being made in 1969. Wouldn't happen. It would have had to have been in a different country. What, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's why I said, too, also, like, like it's like, man, the, I asked you, I'm like, did Toby Hooper watch a lot of Jallos before he watched, made this movie? And you said you didn't know. Yeah, I don't know. And, like, maybe maybe he did not. I would almost guess he have, would have had to, because a lot of, like, the cinematography in this, to me, is very reminiscent of, like, a Jallo film. I think and that- how, it, like, thing, like, certain things are blocked and how they, you know show what's going on like very like the whole like scene near the end where you see like the character's eyes like focused on and they're focusing up not just on her eyes but like her the veins in her eyes like being bloodshot and bulging out of her eyes like that to me is very jallo-esque it's not something you would see in like cinematography of like american films at the time yeah, I think that that cinematography is really what sets 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre apart from some of the other films that were coming out at the time. Um, you know, because slasher films at that time, they were getting big. Um, you know, and the genre was in full swing at that time, late 60s, with Mario Bava hits, and then, you know, into the 70s. Um, that was It was getting big in Italy, maybe not so much in America at that time. Um, but this film really does do a lot with the cinematography in terms of just making the viewer feel uncomfortable. Um, Almost even, nauseous. Yeah. Even the first, the just the opening credits of the film, you know, you get that first realistic sort of almost like documentary opening. That's kind of a prelude to what's to come. And then there's just that shot of like a, a body on a cross. That's just, Decaying. decaying and sitting out in the, the the hot sun of of Texas, um, and it's a very grisly scene. And and Toby Hooper doesn't he doesn't shy away from like showing that or or forcing the viewer to watch it for long periods of time. And that's true of a lot of the scenes in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Now, some of that may be due to a low budget, but. At the same time, it works very well because it puts the viewer in that realistic mindset of like, look at how dingy and kind of gross and disgusting this film really it is in the setting that these characters are in. And it puts you in that frame of mind. Um, I think that that's probably one of the biggest things that sets this film apart is that it really does a good job of making you feel like you're there. Like, you know, and and making you kind of cringe at all the things that are going on. Uh, it's, it's, and like we said, there is like a 4K release of this film, you know, 4K scan. They've tried to pull out all the stops, make sure that it's very, you know, it's got a great HD transfer. But the best way to watch this film really is to watch it in sort of a, Grainy, grainy, you know, not quite. Well, no, and that, and that's what I'm saying. Like, like, like again, like the 70s. Like, yeah, the film quality is like better than like it was in the 50s and 60s. But at the same time, like lower budget films like this yeah. have a certain aesthetic to like the quality of the film. Because again, this is back like when you like, like if you want the cream of the crop for your color and your picture, you got to have technical. You're going with technical. Yeah. <laughs> you're, not, you're not getting yeah. like you know color vision. You know or you know. Things like that. It, so it's like, again, there's like a certain quality. And I think that's like films like this benefit from that. Like the fact that they are low budget. So they have that overall grainy film look that you would never really be able to properly get today because they would all film today just about. Except very few exceptions. It's all shot digitally now. Yeah. I think outside, of, like who outside of Tarantino these days is using film? Mm, I don't know. And like, even if you want to replicate that, you're replicating that with computers, and it's not going to yeah, come it's, anywhere it's, near. It's difficult to pull that off. It's not going to ever feel authentic. You know, it's the same problem that CGI has. It's never, no matter how good it ever gets, it's never going to feel authentic. Like a pr- crappy practical effect will feel, maybe crappy, but you, you can touch, feel. It's tangible to the mind, and yeah. I think the aesthetic of this film, you know, is greatly benefited from its low budget. And and again too like who wants to also see like a high bu- like a really big budget horror film? No. You don't want the flashy effects. You don't want the 
the special effects that rely on CGI rather than just practical. Because the fact that if, like if you have a low budget, you have to get especially with a horror film, it lends itself more because you have to get really creative, and yep. then you have to like think of and then figure out where you want to be descriptive and be, like show. Like, the gore and the effect, and where you're going to leave it to, like, the viewer's imagination. Yeah, and I mean, Toby Hooper really had to get creative for this, too, because he's basically using actors and actresses that are just college kids. You know, this was at a time where he was uh, a professor, and he wanted to make a horror film, and he had the resources available to him that, you know, here's uh, some college-age actors and actresses. Similar, kind of similar story to Wes Craven. Exactly. And you you pull them in, you do what you need to do, and I think it lends itself a little bit more, too, because there's almost that sort of improvisational nature to it, that it's like, you could get away with, you know, maybe your character, maybe your actors don't really know specifically what's going to happen in the show, in the, the movie, you know, so in this shot, you know, we're going to have Gunnar Hansen come through as Leatherface and drag you into a room. Well, maybe the actress doesn't know that. You know, you can kind of get away with that. Improvisational. Makes, it more, ge- makes it more genuine. Exactly. You, you know, there's a, that, 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 that's like that's a, that's like a wrestling thing. Like, that's like, like buying into, like, you know, the whole... Re- like, you know, wrestling... If you're not really into... Like, you know, a lot of people say, like, with, like, wrestling, it's fake. You know, how can people, like, like, like that garbage? Well, you know, films are fake and stuff too. But I mean, it's so it's it what the attachment comes not just from like the bouts within the ring, though they are entertaining. It's it's the emotion and then like m- making you believe what's going on is real. So if something like that in a film, like the actors like doesn't know like, hey, you're gonna get dragged away in a second, and you get like an authentic scare you know scare from yeah. like the actual participant in that that you know it wasn't intended that's like that's akin to like you know wrestling psychology and yeah. i think like you know that would work well in like a, you know a film like this like having like moments like that where you don't know and people participating don't quite know either yeah i think that's you know there's definitely that feeling even if it's even if it was scripted and even if it is in the you know it, the actors know there's there's a few moments in Texas Chainsaw Massacre where the audience isn't really cued in to what's going to happen because besides the sort of noisy soundtrack that this film has, which is very very noisy, right? It's it's noisy. It's populated with you know a lot of uh, I I would I would say probably timpani hits because it does sound like a lot of like the ringing from a timpani and cymbal splashes and a lot of the sound effects are just it, like constant like constant like hearing like 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 an engine going or yeah like, like you know when tractor the, running or the generator generators stuff like that you know those things those are sounds that really put you into that realistic mindset as well it's like well I'm I guess I'm there you know um those types of things really lend itself to the film's creepiness as well. And you're, you're kind of put into that and you're not really set up for it because there's no music sting. There's no like swelling of chords to signify like, like an actual score. Yeah. There's uh, you know, it's, it's not like, Oh, it's getting creepy now. Something's going to happen. Um, what I'm thinking of is when, um, Pam first enters the, the house, you know, leather with leather face in it. And she's kind of just searching around. She's like, you know, hello, is anybody here? She's looking for her boyfriend. And there's there's no real cue that this is going to happen. But a, 
she walks out the door and Gunnar Hansen pops out and just grabs her from behind. There's there's no cue there. There's no music. There's nothing there to signify that this is going to happen. And yet it does. And you're kind of caught off guard, especially watching it for the first time, because there's no expectations. It's It just happens. And it is almost like watching a real life sort of documentary of that happening because... Which is what they're going for, too. Is Yeah. They're saying it's based on a true story, which it's not. I mean, yeah. It's not based on a true story. It's based on Ed Gein, the serial killer. But it's not. And it's, but it's, yeah, it's it has inspired. No, it, it's it has inspired. nothing to do. I say base would be very, a generous, loose, because it's not, it's inspired. I would, yeah. you know, because yeah. it's not like, Ed, you know, Ed Gein didn't walk around. No, no. But, but I mean, it, it's definitely, there's, there's those moments that really just catch you off guard. And I think that's probably one of the strongest parts of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is that things happen and you don't really expect them to. And you don't, there's nothing that sets you up for it, especially watching for the first time. So if you're thinking about audiences back in 1974, watching Texas Chainsaw Massacre for the first time, that was probably very startling to just all of a sudden have a, a guy in a human mask burst through a door and grab somebody it that was a an event that probably just seemed to come out of nowhere especially watching you know the the setup for texas chainsaw massacre which toby hooper he does do a good job of setting up weird things that are going to happen and and still making them seem eerie and out of place so we know that there these characters are traveling to texas they're going through this weird kind of back backwoods town there are a lot of weird people around they pick up a hitchhiker he's strange he cuts himself and and is obsessed with butchery uh there's the uh gas station attendants who are obviously not quite right and then eventually you have that um dilapidated house that they're visiting so didn't the 70s just love like scary hillbillies yeah, I mean, scary hillbillies and obviously uh, mentally deranged people who need some help. Oh, well, they wouldn't have viewed it that way. No, they, they would have found them to be... Uh, just fucking crazy. Yeah, there's no, you just know... A, like, just like like the old, like the aesthetics and, like, the characteristics of, like, the, the villains in this. Very reminiscent. I know it comes out a couple of years later... Just like Deliverance. Right. You know, which isn't necessarily a horror film, but at the same, you know, it is in certain aspects a horror film. Yeah. With what happens, you know, in the film. And it's almost reminiscent of that. Like, you know, Leatherface's family is reminiscent of, like, the people of the Appalachia, you know, in Deliverance, the way it's portrayed. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I agree. Um,. I think that they, I mean, they do a really good job with that sort of thing, though, you know, and and making sure that, like, in the beginning, with that, um, with with the guy that will eventually become part of the the family, Leatherface's family, you know, and and they don't really, they don't get names, per se, but... The hitchhiker. Yeah, they just have, you know, titles. Um, They they do a good job of setting that up and kind of setting the tone for the rest of the film. in terms of just the oddness that's going to be happening, um, I know a lot of people are a little bit. They they have this. They have a um, 
expectation for films to kind of like move at a at a clip, you know, kind of quickly through each of their scenes. And Toby Cooper doesn't really do that with Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's it's kind of a he allows the scenes to play out for the length of time that they 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 need. So that opening scene with the hitchhiker in the van is kind of an unbroken scene that that plays out for a long period of time. I would say like probably five to ten minutes of just the hitchhiker in the van doing his thing. And that's not really something that we see a whole lot because scenes are broken up. They're, you know, there's a swap from scene to scene as, you know, people, um, you know, there's like multiple scenes happening at once. We don't really see like an unbroken scene where uh, one weird thing is happening. And that's what Toby Hooper delivers with that hitchhiker. And I, w- I can see how some people might be put off by that, that it's, you know, it seems like it's too long, but also it's very realistic in the way that it's represented as though we're in the van and we're seeing this happen at the same time that the, the characters are, and we're kind of thinking like, what the hell is going on here? Like, this is very strange. I wouldn't have picked him up from the get go. No, I wouldn't either. You just think about it. It's like, what different times? Like who these days picks up hitchhikers? Yeah, that's, that's, I mean, now we wouldn't, but I guess there are many films that were set at that time that they did pick up. No, I know. Maybe it was a thing. No, no, like in Friday the 13th. They just did that. The one girl in the beginning of Friday, remember we reviewed Friday the 13th, right? In the beginning, like the girl that was trying to get to Camp Crystal Lake. Yeah. Guy's like, yeah, sure, I'll give you a ride, you know, and just picks her up and, you know, get a little exposition from her, uh, like what she's going to do. And it's like. Man, how times have changed. Nobody fucking picks up hitchhikers anymore. Yeah. And you don't really get to see them that often because they know damn well. Oh, no one's going to pick me up. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about... We haven't really talked about um, some of the later scenes where it kind of gets to be a little bit more humorous. Um, as we get to intentionally or unintentionally, yeah, I mean, we get to the family, uh, and obviously we have the old man, um, who is the gas station attendant and really doesn't seem to have a whole lot of control over his two, what we're supposed to take as like sons or, you know, people, you know, the guys that he lives with brothers, brothers, whatever they are, um, part of the family, they uh, they have some sort of like a humor to them, a black comedy that I do think is intentional within the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it almost it's it serves almost, to make I, it a little bit creepier. I was saying I can almost see at the time though. I mean, I I agree that I think they're supposed to come off as intentionally humorous and like a black comedy, but I can see at the time though because of the films that were coming out at the time. It probably playing more creepy, and people wa- right. like you know watching it like oh that's creepy. But now like today like someone you know who if you see in the films of today you could totally be like oh yeah you know they're fucking goofy mm-hmm. sitting there clapping you know and acting like assholes and like oh yay we're gonna kill we're gonna kill grandpa's gonna smash her with a hammer yay you know yeah you know I could see how then it would come off as creepy like again yeah, like. You know, when you think, like, The Night of the Living Dead, like, how today, like, when you think of a lot of things that happen in it, 
I mean, it's not doesn't detract from the film, but it's more kind of comes off as campy and goofy. Whereas you know, back then it was legitimate scary, mm-hmm. and because people hadn't seen that before, so I I, I think. That's one of the one thing that kind of sucks, you know, about, you know, not being able to watch these films in the time that they came out and the context that they were originally set in. Because then, you know, we're robbed of what we, you know, could have originally felt if you were to see it, like, with a totally blank slate. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And that, to me, would be like, like again, like, with like a film like this, that'd be, like, interesting. Just because of the nature of the violence in the film, which, you know, this film was banned in several countries for several years for it being overtly, you know, overly violent. And you watch today and it's not, you know, it's not very gory. No, a lot of it does happen either off screen. uh, If we're talking about like some of some of the deaths, like some of the other the people that are secondary characters within the film, they their deaths happen off screen and we really don't see much of the the violence of that like we, you would think a film called Ten- texas chainsaw massacre would be like today would be a total fucking gore fest you see right and, and chainsawing the, and ripping and like you don't see that no the, like the goriest deaths you get in this film are two people getting killed with a hammer over the head granted they work really well i love how like how very realistic toby hooper takes those like deaths like literally just plunk right on the head and it's not like a it's not like a cartooning like like what you would expect like splat it's literally just like a thunk in the head and like the person drops you can yeah it's you a, know it's a great effect because of how realistic it is and, and how serious they like take that yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's it's not like uh oh we need to zoom in for this shot it's more of a like an out it, it you know it's 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 centered but it's zoomed out and you kind of just see that happen and the char- the actor drops and it's a great drop i mean it's a it's a very realistic depiction of like getting smacked in the head and you're just like fucking out you're just you're you're done that's it um and it's 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 a really effective moment because of that there's and i think again like you said the film is not that violent uh you know when compared to today it works because realistically getting smacked in the head like that is not going to look particularly violent but it's still going to be gruesome as we see the guy then starts convulsing well, on the ground you know i know and i i, I like i said i totally agree because like if you were to see it today it'd be like we got to have this really like detailed either cgi or like practical effect of like the you know like the skull and like here like a splatting noise and like things like that you know like, if you think about it if this film was made 10 years later and they did that in the 80s it would be very like much like a splat you know into the head and like oh look you can see his head's caved in but like the sound effects and how they would probably choose to show it would totally mitigate you know the gruesomeness of it You'd be like oh yeah you know yeah that's a, that's the thing yeah I, th- I think it really works in this film's favor that they didn't have a lot of money so they did what they they uh could with those those moments and it's a lot of it again it happens off screen or you don't really see it so like uh when franklin's getting carved up with the chainsaw you would expect now or even back in the 80s like to evil, see like evil, a lot of blood flying it'd around be the evil and, dead remake yeah with exactly the cha- with the chainsaw with that but but in this case you really only see from behind as franklin gets is getting cut up so you see the chainsaw coming down you don't really see a lot of the actual. You don't even see blood like shooting no, out. No, you don't. You don't see any of that. That moment. You just hear so. him writhing in pain as he's, you know. I think the most violent moment that you get 
is when uh, the hitchhiker is run over by the truck, which is actually a very explicit, like, here's a dummy, and it's getting, More you know, enough. crushed under a, under a giant uh, truck. But other than that, a lot of it happens off screen, um, or just more so the the visceral nature of that, like the meat hook. Right. You, don't, you don't see the meat hook impaling the girl, and but just like the idea, like Leatherface, like taking her and like setting her like right on the meat hook, and then the way it's the film that parts shot and blocked, where like the table and Leatherface blocking. You know, you don't ever get to see behind like the hook actually in her. You just see her hanging off of it. That that's well enough. Yeah. Again, that's like that's again, that's very smart. That's knowing the limitations of what you have to work with and then making it so again, you're leaving it up to the viewer's imagination. You don't have to show somebody being impaled on a meat hook to make them people have like a visceral reaction to it. Just the the thought alone. Like you're seeing it happen, but you're not you're not seeing it totally at all. You're seeing only twenty percent of it. And that alone, leaving the rest of it up to the viewer's mind, is much more impactful and, you know, thought-provoking and creepy and will give you more, like, scares than, like, if, again, if it was done today, you would actually see her getting, like, shoved on the meat hook, hook going into the rib cage, the blood, and, like, blood coming out of her mouth, and, you know, they would make sure, like, we gotta show everything. Yeah. This doesn't do that. It, it works in its favor. One thing I, I really like about the film, too, is that, you know, we talked about the the claim that this is based on a true story. It's really not. But it is – it does – it is inspired by Ed Gein, the serial killer. And you can see a lot of that inspiration within the film because, you know, they they kind of give us a, a backstory to these characters and, in a sense, Ed Gein about why they are – obsessed with using all parts of the human body or anybody for their home because in you know Ed Gein he he did take body parts from graves and the people that he killed and he made them into everyday objects like lampshades and uh bedposts and things like that um very demented individual but the Texas Chainsaw Massacre takes that and it runs with it because you kind of get the sense that these people were butchers. They were people who were working in the factories who had their jobs taken from them and didn't really know what to do with themselves at that point because they had been so accustomed to just doing this very dirty, I, I, I won't say amoral, but um, different work. Of, of killing things and then event uh, all of a sudden they didn't have that job anymore and that's kind of a, a, a understated moment in texas chainsaw massacre that kind of happens on the outskirts of their storyline is that they are talking about these butcher plants that are around the area that have since gotten rid of the people who used to do the butcher butchery like killing cows and they've replaced them with machines that just do it for them and so that's part of the hitchhiker story is that his family used to do that work and now they're out of it. So now what do they do? They, they've kind of tried to make their lives accustomed to not having that work and doing it in other ways. Yeah, it, but at the same time, I don't think they, you know, 
They 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 didn't like. They're not excusing it. Obviously, they're not saying they 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 didn't start butchering people because like I don't know have a cow to butcher. No, no, they're not. They're already they're already you know. Yeah, they're not excusing that activity, but they're trying to draw the comparison there, and I think it works. If you don't have that idea, that context, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, it really doesn't have that much of a theme. (laughs) It's just about people going to a house. Uh, and then eventually winding up in the wrong place at the wrong time and, and meeting their demise. Well, apparently Toby Hooper says it's supposed to be like a metaphor for, uh, Watergate and government lying to people. That's where the whole, this is a true story comes from. Yeah. I mean, which I find that to be, I think it's a stretch, uh, because I don't, I'm one of those people who, you know, you have to actually have something within the storyline that actually draws a conclusion like that. And they can actually make a comparison. Right. You can't, and you, not, in, in Texas and not, Massacre, just, and not like have to use artistic license. You're like, oh, so this, the yeah. chainsaw represents, you there's, know. There's definitely nothing in the film that would relate back to that. Like where, where a general audience member would be like, that's Watergate. <laughs> you know, there's or like, nothing or like government, you know, big government. No, there's mind. nothing like that. But I do think you can draw a comparison to saying like, well, here's an issue with uneducated working class people being taken out of their jobs. I think that that's probably a stronger thematic resonance than what Toby Hooper is claiming the film is about. Um, but I, I think, you know, that it's an interesting concept that you can you can draw with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and it does relate back to Ed Gein as well because it does take a lot of inspiration from what he used to do in terms of you know using those body parts. Even the film's opening and the radio moments and the you know some of the radio uh, specials that we get and they're, they're just really quick. They do relate to the f- grave robberies that the Hitchhiker does. That is only really touched upon very very slightly in the film um inter- like when the old man says you know you got to stay away from those cemeteries it that's a reference to him grave robbing and you know getting all of those parts and bones and pieces reminds you of seth from red dead redemption yeah and it, it doesn't really come up i think that's some good subtext there because it doesn't like if you're not looking for it you definitely wouldn't well no because like it, especially if you're not paying attention because like the, the some of those radio broadcasts, like you hear like weather forecasts and like barometer pressure. And like, if you're not paying attention, like oh, you start tuning out, you're going to miss the part after that, where they're talking about the recent grave robberies. And, um, but no, I, I, I agree. You know what too? I also like, I like the, I, the idea in treating it more as they're people. Mm-hmm. And that they're not monsters. Um, and I like that in like sl- like a slasher. I like the villain to be you know villains. Yeah. To be more human. If there's one fault, I like you can like say with like Halloween. I mean, not necessarily the original because the original he Michael Myers is human. Yeah, they call him the boogeyman and you know Mr. Sandman and all that. But even though like. What, you know, him surviving what what happens at the end of Halloween, you know, after Donald Pleasant sh- shoots him, you know, five times and falling off the roof, even though that's unlikely and improbable, it's plausible. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, and make leaving the human nature there, 
the fact that you know he seems demon like, and he's but he's human. I think adds to the film, and then when you get later down in the film, it's like, oh no, he's like essentially you know Satan's walking spawn. It takes away from, from the mystique. Yeah, once you and, get into and that's the and that's where you're getting yeah. more into like you know with like Friday the Thirteenth type of territory. Like, all right, you're rooting for the killer because he's you know an unstoppable killing machine. And here in the like in probably a lot of people, unless you're really into Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Leatherface comes off as totally as like a demonic type of killer. He does, yeah. Whereas, like, this skin mask, wheels of chainsaw, he's big and lumbering, seems like he's impervious to pain, You don't, but that's not what this film is. He's a, just a fucking crazy person. And I think that human element is what makes it more threatening and scary, that it's not, it's not something, like, otherworldly, it's something like, holy shit, this is actually something human. Um, I think one thing that some people complain about is the amount of screaming and yelling that takes place during the the final dinner scene. How do you how do you feel about that? Um, I, I do think it's too much. Uh, I've always felt like it's how her lungs haven't like given out, and like the fact that she's been running for like forty five minutes, and, like yeah. Ah! Ah, it's like what could stand? Like she could like probably run three miles singing a song. Like she she's ready for the army and like you know be jogging you know ten miles and singing with you know forty pounds of gear. It it becomes taxing. What I will say that I do like is I love the fact that all Leatherface does is have really weird and creepy grunts and groans and moans that like constantly he's just you know grunting and moaning and like this high-pitched squeal like he's never really learned english like he, he just doesn't kinda... have, he's never learned to speak he's you know i mean i don't know what the you know the overall genesis of the backstory of the character is like but it's like almost like again like Almost like it's deliverance, like it's inse- like incestuous, you know, inbreeding, and this is what you know has come about. And because he's from in this close family that's closed off from normal society, he d- hasn't learned to cope. And this is the way, like again, I'm assuming the gas station attendant's supposed to be his dad, and not like a older brother, right? Because just the way he treats him, like, he's constantly berating him and, like, beating him, like, kind of like, you know, like a bastard son yeah, almost. Yeah, I mean, it does come out in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 in terms of, like, the family relationship. But just watching in the first film, like, as a, a viewer watching the a first standalone. film, you wouldn't, you wouldn't know exactly what the relationship is. But, yeah, I would, I would assume father. Um. I've I've always thought that the dinner scene came off a little long. <clears throat> um, they take forever to get to the hole. Yeah, because even um, at Grandpa's gonna smash you with the hammer. Even at like only eighty minutes, this film's only an hour and twenty minutes. That part of it seems to drag on for a little too long. I think that Toby Hooper, you know, left it there for just a little bit too long in terms of like how they just much pad the runtime. Yeah, there's you know there's a couple scenes that that end up like that like that one the dinner scene um the chase that has um you know the leatherface chasing uh sherry through the 
uh, brush, or, yeah. and it's like that happens. It's then they te- go into the house. Then they go back into the it's forest. Te- it's tense, but at the same time, no, you're right. It does, you know, linger. It's just a little bit too long. However, watching this time, I did take note of like what would it be like if it was like a realistic scenario, and I couldn't see someone being like. I'm not going to stop screaming until someone saves me. You know what I mean? Like hoping I, that I somebody can, might I can see like now thinking about the screaming, you know, in terms of watching a film, it may be annoying to hear all that screaming, but at the same time, being in that situation, you're probably going to be screaming for forever until somebody saves you or you die. Uh so I I definitely see the realism in that. Um I'll say that Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 I feel is worse in this regard. Because there's constantly screaming. It's like screaming the entire film. So that's almost, that's like fatiguing to me. To watch a film and like have somebody screaming constantly. That really tires I, me out. One thing too about that whole chase that I love. Because it's something like a modern horror film you would never see. It's just like an ingenious thing. I'm trapped as Leatherface is running up the stairs trying to get to me. What do I do? I fucking jump out the window from a second story, possibly breaking my legs. Oh, well, worth the risk. In in this case, she does it twice. I know, you know, and later she Two does windows. it. Two windows. Yeah. But no, it's like, wow. It's like, it's like, if you watch like Scream and it's like people like, tripping, like, no, don't. It's like, you, bitch, go. You know, like. You can, yeah, jump you, out the window, jump out the door, jump out know, whatever you can. Yeah, you may, you know, break your leg or, you know, an ankle or something, but you'll still, you know, you got a better chance than, like, just like, no, don't. You know, going Willy Wonka, like, no, don't, stop, don't. You know, one of my favorite moments in this film is uh, the ending where the driver of a, a truck, a big rig. The, the big rig, Black Maria, just happens upon this very crazy scenario and he's like all into it, you know. I mean, he—you uh, can't like just drive the truck through and not be a part of this scenario at that point. Well, he did kill someone. <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> so I just like that because it's a like it's a, like this. I can just imagine this guy just trucking along, you know. Gotta get to my destination, whatever. Then all of a sudden, fucking running over a crazy man in the road, and then another guy with a chainsaw chasing, chasing after bloody a limping, oh, yeah, a woman. <laughs> It's just that scenario right there. I want to know Texas Chainsaw Massacre from that guy's point of view. And that guy just kind of disappears. Just like gone. After after he knocks uh, Leatherface on his ass and, uh, you know, he cuts himself with a chainsaw. He gets the fuck out of there. And I want to know what happens to that guy. Because uh, we don't know. Uh, we know that Leatherface doesn't succeed. And uh, she gets away in a pickup truck. Yeah, and, by a guy that's just driving by. Yeah. Like this. Just happens to drive by. And then Leatherface does a little dance at the end. You know, he didn't succeed, but he Very can still iconic dance. Too. Yeah, that's, that, that became a big thing. And not only, you know, Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 and kind of a reversal in that, but also in, you know, Zombies Ate My Neighbors. Uh, there's a chainsaw guy in that. Does yeah, a little, it does that. Does yeah. a little dance in there. So... Very iconic uh, little dance Fun. for as great as that game. Face. You'll say as great as that game was fucking for being so goddamn hard. Oh, it was terribly hard. <laughs> um, but anything else that you want to add before we get into a rating? Um, seeing as we're honoring 
Toby Hooper. I don't, I don't, we don't really have to say much about the acting. It's, you know, very... I mean, there's not a lot of storyline for these characters, so... No, no, no. There's it's, no it's, real... It's, you know, it's just there. And, yeah. Um, I think we should bring up the kind of import, importance of this film. Mm-hmm. You can clearly see how this film would, down the line, inspire future films. Especially Rob Zombie's horror films. Uh, if yeah. anything... All of his films are literally, like... <laughs> Taking from... This. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, especially the House whole, like, of the House of Corpses. in Devil's Rejects. Devil's Rejects is literally, like, let's just put, you know, put them on the road, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. It, it's very much, you know, you can you can certainly see... His version of Halloween. It's literally <laughs> like, hey, let's just fucking, you know... Rob, Rob Zombie's aesthetic is taken directly from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I think... Even like his hellbilly persona, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the, the, that sort of thing is is definitely f- very much inspired by Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But it's you know it's helped with a lot of other things too. I mean, so so many movies have, in small part, taken from either this or like The Hills Have Eyes, and probably that's, a that's combination it. It was, of them. I say that's another thing too, like, like Wes Craven's, because again, like The Hills Have Eyes, have you know, in, like insane. In, all, like incestuous, you know, and it became a a big part of the eighties as well in terms of like backwoods hillbillies trying to kill you, like just before dawn or uh, some, you know, like there's there's many many uh, hillbilly killers that mo- mo- like motel hell, you know, you could a lot of them are very very similar and and inspired, and obviously they draw from a lot of different. Uh, films but definitely a huge inspiration for sure from texas chainsaw massacre can't can't deny that um it's pretty interesting to see just how much the Texas Chain- and sometimes like when you think back about texas chainsaw massacre it kind of blends in with those slasher films of the 80s but it's, it's not, not yeah it's uh 1974 so a lot earlier than some of those other films that you you're think you think of when you think of like iconic slasher films so i think people though are in that case would be mixing that with like the second one which would be more in line with that because if you if you watch this film it's hard to mistake it's again it's not it's hard very hard to mistake this film for like an 80s film it's yeah. an ex it, very easily like that's an exploitation film from the early 70s very easily you can yeah. like just be like the abrupt ending though like ooh, this is a real story and you know all those like certain aesthetics is very much like you know, yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> For a similar film like that, check out the town that dreaded sundown. Also, it's you know it, it has that same aesthetic. So, I think that if someone likes the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you would certainly like the town that dreaded sundown as well. Just a little, just a little film that you should check out. <laughs> um, all right, so what would you rate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Out of ten rubber mallets, I'll give it a seven and a half. Yeah, seven I seven and a half. I mean, I think that you are you're right around like what I would give it. I probably like I I think I would give it like uh, maybe seven, probably a eight. I would say, um, but I do think you know 
for all of the things that it does really well, watching now, you definitely see some of the flaws in, in terms of like how long Toby Hooper allows those scenes to play out. Maybe he does push the boundary a few times. Some scenes drive on a little too long. Meandering. Like, yep. like the discussions between... You said we didn't even really talk about the, the characters because again they're not really yeah they don't really have too much of a out, outside of you know Leatherface's family it's you don't really our main group like most horror films you don't really need to even and even more so in this like in most horror films like Halloween for instance Laurie Strode Sally's not memorable at all as a the heroine and she's not even a heroine in this she's just a survivor. Which I get is what they're going for, because again, it's supposed to be allegedly, you know, based on a true story. So that makes sense that she's not, she doesn't come off as heroic and saves the day or anything like that. And, you know, she just literally escapes barely by the skin of her teeth and survives. But even so, she's not memorable. She's boring. She's bland. She's just there to not wear a bra. And then, like, we also have, like, you know, the conversation between her and her brother Franklin, and they're just, like, meandering and long, and they don't really add anything to their characters. It's just kind of, like, very window dressing of, like, background. Like, yeah. like oh, you're mad at me, aren't you? They you just know? needed some character stuff. To fill in, what yeah. you know, otherwise you'd have a 45-minute film. Yeah, and I think that that's probably the biggest flaw with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 is that some of those scenes that run long, they do feel like they're just filler. Just there to kind of fill some time to make a longer, sh- to, uh, like a longer film because this is only 80 minutes long already. You know, and that's with filler moments. So there is that risk that you know if if this would be like a 70 minute film would it get released to theaters would it have a major then it would have it wouldn't today right yeah a 70 minute film today would not Still, fly at be, all you know a little bit questionable so you know that was more of like a 50s and 60s thing seven six, 60 70 minute films um but i i do think that that those moments are there for filler and they are probably the most problematic and flawed moments of the film of just Hooper pushing scenes out to their to more than they can actually warrant, like why they would be that long. So well, at the same time, you don't want them to like what they would do today, expound upon endlessly. Yeah, no, that's backstory. True too. Yeah, we know? don't need the backstory for these characters. We just know that they're visiting their their old grandpappy's grave in their in the house and and while it would be nice to figure out why exactly they want to visit a decrepit old house for no reason um we don't need it there's nothing you know it's it's the 70s you get what else you gotta do in your summer just having a road trip smoking pot in a abandoned house I guess. But. No, as I told you, it's like, man, what a great spot. Like, hey, I'm going to take you to a place, girl, you've never been fucked before. Where? Oh, this place has got, you know, skulls and... And a foundation, and, and that's about it. And, and spiders it, everywhere. Oh, yeah. And, you're gonna, you're not going to know what's, you know... And a swimming hole. And, and that's it. You know, you're going to have a lot of fun here. No tire swing, though. No. No. That's a shame. It is. All right, so anything else you want to add about uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre before we close this out? No. Uh, I think we hit on pretty much everything. I mean, um, it's an iconic iconic film, and I can see why it is. Again, like I, lo- I do love 
Leatherface and how he's portrayed in this. Like, I love the fact that he is, like, just grunting, wild, crazy, and... Yeah, and, and, and no... He, yeah. You know, he's he's human, but also inhuman in that he's obviously got something wrong with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and there's not... There's nothing really to go on for the for the viewer, so you're just kind of along for the ride. I think that's that's probably the biggest uh, credit that you can give Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and and that it influenced so many so many other films. So thank you, Toby Hooper. Uh, we appreciate it that you were able to give us so many great horror films, and hopefully ones that we can cover on subsequent episodes of the the show. I definitely want to do the Fun House at some point. Um. Should we disclose what we're doing? Now? Yeah, we can. We can finally. Uh, we can. We can give away we'll what we're doing for Halloween. Get people hyped up. So, uh, starting in September, which is just next week, obviously, we're when this episode releases, it's going to be the end of August, August thirty first. Goodbye, summer. Hello, fall. Uh, you still got twenty two more days. <laughs> I consider fall hitting My, on September first. Well, especially around here. Yeah, like in, like within a day, just dropped. Like all of a sudden, went from eighty to you know sixty. It's fine with me. No, me too. I'm. I'm just yeah. saying. I, I did get angry when I saw they have pumpkin spice like coffee creamer out already. I'm like, no. Yeah, it's been at Dunkin' for a, a couple weeks now. Assholes. Sarah's already had three. <laughs> Um, but we are doing a special Halloween season for the podcast. Well, we did that last year, though. We did. We did Saw last year. But we got to a late start. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing something a little bit different this time. We're not, we're not going to do like a franchise. Uh, we're actually going to do something called Remake a Ween. Woo! Sounds like fun. Um, so we're going to be doing all remakes of horror films for the month of September and October. And we have a full list. Um, we don't have a, a schedule just yet, but we're going to come up with one. We're going to come up with a, a specific schedule. But just know that next week we're doing it, right? Does it come out next week? I believe it comes out next week. Well, you should check that. I have don't to give, check that. Don't lie to people right now. <laughs> I have to check that because I, I'm not sure exactly when it comes out. I think it comes out this Friday. Uh, September 8th. So actually, that's a lie. We're not going to get it next week. Um, so what are we doing next week? It would make sense to do the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. The remake. Do you want to do it back to back? We might as well. It would make sense. It's up to you. (laughs) I don't know. Alright, we'll do it. We, yeah, I, I think it makes sense. And that's exactly why in earlier in the show, I did talk about how Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974 fit in with our thematic Halloween stuff because we are going to be doing remakes and we do plan on doing the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Um, so we'll probably do that next week just to tie in a little bit better um, and see Jessica Biel's butt as well. It's been forever since Yeah, it's I've been seen so that. long. And I, because I, I looked it up today, I, like, that movie doesn't feel like it came out in 2003. Yeah, I, I No, the aesthetics and whatnot does scream. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure when we watch it. Screams, you know, you know, like, hey, Saw came we're out. We're definitely going like, to see know, early 2000s. But at the same time, it almost feels like it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Which, makes it, which makes it funny that it took, like, ten years later for, like, Friday and New Nightmare. Yeah, and, yeah. Some of the uh, some of the other remakes that you can expect in this month, it 
obviously. Uh, Friday the 13th, because there is a That'll Friday. That'll be in October. The, yep, there is a Friday the 13th in October. Nightmare on Elm Street. Halloween. What else we got? Anything else? House on Haunted Hill. House on Haunted Hill. Yep. Evil Dead. We hadn't talked about that. But. I just can't. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that's one of them, I guess. Um, Evil Dead. And then we have a, just, we're going to have a couple special episodes for you, too, in October towards the end. By I, don't know, I just I just, I just threw that one out there because it just kind of came to me. Yeah. Like, I, I totally forgot there, even though I went to see it in theaters, like, I forgot there was an Evil Dead remake. Yep. Um, and then we're going to have the special episode because we're going to have a special Halloween episode on Halloween. It'll release on Halloween. So it's going to be jam packed. We got stuff. a lot. We might be doing two episodes a week for yeah, some Yeah, Who episodes. knows? We're, this is going to be a lot. We're, we're putting a lot on ourselves. So this is Ryan Santa season. That's He's, right. You know. That's right. Yep. So, um, next week, expect Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the remake as we kick off remake a ween. We might have to come up with a better, better name for the remake. A ween <laughs> is great. <laughs> I well, I know it. I came up with it. It makes it makes sense. It works. We're going I, with I it. I feel like people have done it before. I'm sure there's other people who have done sure, the podcast. I'm sure. I guarantee it someone's beat, beat me to the punch. But. Oh, yeah, for sure. But it doesn't matter. This is Blood and Black Rum podcast remake ween, so. It's better than theirs. That's right. All right, so uh, stay with us for next week. We're going to be doing uh, remake ween starting next week in september and it's going to go all the way through october 31st uh you can catch us on facebook facebook.com slash blood and black rum podcast we also have a group on there so make sure you join that we are on twitter at blood and black rum uh, follow us and retweet our stuff we are on soundcloud stitcher itunes and pretty much any other app you can use to listen to podcasts so please rate and review on there we're on patreon patreon.com slash blood and black rum podcast you can donate to us remember that's a monthly donation so don't donate any more than you can afford and we have an email address blood and black rum podcast at gmail.com you can write to us uh request films for us to do let us know how much you like the show we'll read it on air and uh other than that Thank you for listening. We hope to see you back next week as we start remake a ween and get into the Halloween spirit. So uh, stay tuned for that, and uh, we'll see you around. Take care.